Romans 2, and our text will be from verses 12 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's now pray. Our Father, now as we uh, turn our attention to your word here in Romans chapter 2, we come before you admitting our great need for help. Father, that you would come by your spirit, that you would minister to our hearts and open up our eyes to see the wonderful things that are here for us. Oh Lord, I pray that as we spend time together thinking about this passage, as we spend time hearing what you actually say, Lord, that you would use this word to transform us. Lord, make us more and more like your son Jesus. Give us hearts that really love you and love others, that we might be useful for you in this world and in this time. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's not fair. If you are a parent, you've heard these, these three words uttered by your children quite often. If you aren't, you've still no doubt heard these words and you've even used them yourself while you were growing up. They are usually stated in protest and complaint regarding what children believe to be a great injustice against them. I heard these words the other night when uh, we were having fresh red raspberries and blackberries for supper. And uh, what we often do when we have fresh berries is we put a little whipped cream on top of them. Fresh berries are wonderful, but when you put whipped cream on top, oh man. <laughs> and so we're doing this as we usually do, and one of our children had the container of whipped cream, and after serving some for himself, served a scoop of it on top of the bowl of raspberries for one of his siblings, who looked at her serving compared to his, and then we heard those famous words, that's not fair. Many parents uh, heard those words this week when their children were emptying out their Halloween bags and comparing the candy that they got with each other. Parents also hear those words when their children come home and complain because they believe a, a teacher or a coach is giving preferential treatment to certain students or players over others. When certain kids break the rules, the teacher seems to look the other way, but then when they do it, they get called out for it immediately. Or certain players on sports team are favored over others because these students think that they belong to certain families and the coach has a good relationship with these other players because of their last name. 
and so they're not treated fairly. We've all felt that, that sense of unfairness before. And we've all been considering God's judgment here of all people in the book of Romans for the past few weeks. And when we consider God's judgment of all people, one common objection that is often brought up is, how can it be fair for God to judge people who have never had the opportunity to know what he requires in his law? How is that right? Or when we read the Bible and observe what has taken place in human history, what we see is that God shows a certain nation, a a family really, to reveal his law to, to reveal his requirements to them, and he didn't reveal his law to other nations or other peoples. He specifically chose one people group over all others to have and know his law. And yet, he will hold all people responsible on the day of judgment. Is that fair? Don't the people who have his word, who who, who have the Bible, have an unfair advantage when it comes to being judged by God? The Apostle Paul is addressing those types of questions in our passage for this morning. In the midst of his teaching that all people are guilty before God and will be judged by him, and thus all people desperately need the gospel that he's announced in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the apostle is here showing that God is indeed just to judge all people for their sins. All people will face God's judgment. No one will be able to claim that's not fair. So our main theme here from this paragraph from Romans 2 is that all people, whether they have heard God's word or not, will be judged for their sins by the Lord Jesus. You've noticed that this paragraph sits right in the middle of chapter 2. It is sandwiched then between the Apostle Paul addressing those who readily judge others for their sins while excusing their own, and and, and then the Apostle directly addressing uh, Jews Uh, who are confident in their own righteousness because they were God's chosen people following this passage. Earlier in Romans, as I mentioned, uh, verses uh, 16 and 17 of chapter 1, Paul was clearly showing that the gospel is the only way of salvation for both the Jew and the Gentile. That is, those who have the Bible and those who don't. And then in the first part of chapter 2, Paul argues that At the judgment, God will show no partiality between Jews and Gentiles, or again, we could say, between those who have the Bible and those who don't. And so here, right in the middle of chapter 2, Paul brings these two types of people in the world together and shows why it is just for God to judge both for their sins, even though one group of people has had the Bible and the other has not. And of course, we who are in the church, well, we fit into one of those two categories, don't we? Many of us have known the Bible all of our lives. And we also know those, maybe even have personal relationships with those who have never really paid any attention to the Bible at all. You may also have that that, that question, 
in your heart that you've been too afraid to ask, how will God hold these people accountable who have grown up in a place in the world where there is no access to the Bible? How can God hold them accountable to his law when they've never been taught what the Bible says? That is what these verses are about this morning. So first, from verse 12, we see that all sinners with or without the law will be judged. All sinners with or without the law will be judged. Now, let's remind ourselves of, this, uh, of, of the verse that comes immediately before verse 12. That's, that's of course, verse 11. And verse 11 could be used as a title or as a heading over this whole paragraph. Verse 11 says, For God shows no partiality. No partiality between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, those who have the Bible, those who don't have the Bible. God shows no partiality. Then verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So, Again, there are two types of people in the world, the, the very world that Paul was writing in, and essentially they, they, they are still two types of people in our world today. There are those who have the law and those who do not have the law, those who generally know what the Bible says and those who do not know what the Bible says, those who could recognize and tell you the Ten Commandments and those who couldn't even give you one of the Ten Commandments if you ask them to name one. So there are people who don't have the Bible, who have never been taught what God's law is, those who have not had that opportunity to hear God's expectations, God's law, God's requirements. Now verse 12 tells us that both types of people are sinners. In fact, verse 12 is the first time that Paul used the word for sin in the book of Romans. It's also the first appearance of the word law in Romans, here in verse 12. We're going to hear a lot about sin and the law in Romans in the next several chapters, but, but here is where these two words are introduced to us. And we are told that all people are sinners, whether they have the law or not. And that all sinners will be judged for their sins, whether they have known the law or not. Again, for all have sinned without the law, I'm sorry, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. For all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So perish here, verse 12, perish refers to God's final judgment for it is a parallel statement to what is at the end of the verse where it says those who sin under the law or with knowledge of God's law will be judged by the law. All sinners will be judged by God for their sins and they will perish for their sins. As the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel, Behold, all souls are mine. This is the, the Lord speaking. All souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. And then he says, The soul who sins shall die. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. That's from Ezekiel 18. So God shows no partiality. He will not condemn anyone for someone else's sins. He will not hold white Americans who are living today guilty for the sins of their ancestors who may have owned slaves over 200 years ago. Nor will he condemn the parents for the sins of their son 
or daughter, the sin that, that their son or daughter commits, no matter how awful those sins might be, he will only hold you accountable for your sins, not the sins of others. But he will judge you for your sins. For all have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So on that day, on that day of judgment, sinners will have no excuse, both Jews and Gentiles, both these who have, have the Bible and those who don't. All people are put into the same categories of sin and death here in this verse. All people will be judged irrespective of, of whether they are Jews or Gentiles, whether they are people who know the Bible or who have never even heard of the Bible, all those who have sinned, which Paul will even more clearly argue in chapter 3, is everyone without exception, all sinners will be judged and will perish for their sins. Then verse 13. Here we see simply knowing the Bible will not help us in the judgment. Simply knowing the Bible will not help us in the judgment. Here's verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So Paul is here continuing his argument about God showing no partiality or favoritism in the judgment. He will judge all sinners for their sins. He will judge both the Jews who had the Bible and the Gentiles who did not have the Bible according to to what each has done. Now Paul was Jewish. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe that King Saul was from, and Paul was probably named after King Saul. But then after his, his conversion, took the name Paul instead. He was, he was raised then to know the law. He was raised to know the covenants that the Lord had made with his people. He knew their privileged place in the history of redemption. Paul understood the great privilege that the Jewish people had. He also knew of the pride and the sense of superiority that his people were tempted to have because of this great privilege of having God's word and his promises. They knew no other nation, no other group of people could legitimately identify themselves as God's people as they could. They were the only ones who could testify to this great history of God personally revealing himself to their fathers and, of course, giving them, and only them, his word, the law. No other nation could claim that. And so, because of all of those privileges, the Jews of Paul's day had come to think of themselves as righteous in God's sight. That when Judgment Day came, the only ones who would be condemned, the only ones who would, would perish would be the Gentiles because they didn't have the law. They didn't have that privileged place with God. Or those Jews who, who blasphemed God, those Jews who committed apostasy, those who had rejected the law, they would be condemned. But they believe that their very identity as those who possessed the law, as those who worshipped at the temple, that they were right with God, that they would be considered to be the righteous ones at the judgment. 
those who have been raised within the church can also have a similar sense about ourselves compared to those outside the church or those who may go to a church with a much different label or name than ours, that we are the ones who will be declared righteous in God's sight. We are the special ones. We are the privileged ones. By our very identity as Bible people or evangelicals, we are the ones who are really right with God. And once Judgment Day comes, everyone else in the world will be able to see what we already know about ourselves. But verse 13 here is saying, beware, beware. Don't put your hope in your own identity, whether it's as a Jew or as an evangelical. Don't think that just because you have the Bible that you know the Bible. Don't just think that because you, you understand what the Bible says, that you've heard the Bible taught and preached and you've gone to Bible studies for most of your life, don't, don't, don't think that just because of that you will be saved from God's righteous judgment. For just having the Bible will not make any difference on that day. Just because you have heard the Bible all your life will not get you into heaven. Just because you know what the Bible says does not necessarily mean that you're better off than anybody else in the world who has never even heard Bible teaching. Paul's saying here, it's not hearing the Bible that matters. It's doing what the Bible says that really makes the difference. It's not being chosen to be the ones who hear God's words. It's what you did with those words that really matters. Some of you may believe that as long as you show up here on Sunday mornings, God will be pleased with you. You think that just, you know, you, you, you're scoring points with God every time, you know, you, you, you get up out of bed in the morning, you're scoring some, some points with him in some way, and, and you come into church, that after you die, you stand before God at the judgment, that he will look at his chart, where he's kept track of how many times you've been able to, to show up for church on Sunday mornings, and if there are more check marks in the present column than there are in the absent column, then you'll be led into heaven. There were Jews in Paul's day who lived that way, thinking as long as they showed up at the temple for the required festivals and, and made their sacrifices, that God would keep track of that and allow them into the kingdom of heaven because of those things and because of their identity as the Jews. After all, they were the chosen people. They were the special people that God had given his law to. But look again at what verse 13 is saying. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Having the Bible is a great blessing for the Jews as well as for evangelicals, but just having the Bible does not mean we'll be given an exemption from judgment. If we are to be righteous before God, we must do all that the Bible requires. It is the doers of the law who will be justified. So, have you obeyed the law? Have you done all that God's law requires? Have you faithfully 
in your life, throughout your life, every moment of your life, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and along with that, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we recognize, we, we, we see that we are all in need of something else if we are to be justified. We're all in need of, of something else if we are to be saved at the judgment. We, we see that we cannot rely on our own righteousness. We cannot trust in any privileged position the Lord has given us if we were born and raised in an evangelical Christian family. Again, that is a great blessing, but it will not get us into heaven. Going to church every Sunday is a wonderful thing to do, but it will not get you into heaven. Being born a Jew and having the promises of God will not get you into heaven. We are in need of a righteousness that is not our own. A righteousness that will cover our disobedience and our inability to do or to obey the law of God. So that we will be justified on that day. But what about all those who have not had the Bible? Who were not born into a Christian home? What about those who have never even had access to a church or to the scriptures? Is it fair for God to judge them for their sins as well? That's what we see in verses 14 through 16 then. We see we will all be judged according to the knowledge we've been given. So verses 14 through 16, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So all people stand condemned before God on the basis of what they do know. For those with the Bible, like us, and the Jews, we will stand condemned on the basis of the moral standards that we have heard from God's word in the scriptures. God will hold us accountable to those standards. We shall be judged by the law, and for our failure to obey it, our refusal to be doers of the law. And then for those without the Bible, those who are raised in homes that didn't have a Bible or lacked access to Bible teaching, they will be judged by the law that God has written on their hearts. We can say that Gentiles are without the law, that is the Bible, but they are not without law. They can still sense what God demands in their souls. Verse 14 says that Gentiles, or those without the Bible, do by nature what God's law requires. And we know this. It, it sometimes puts us to shame how those who don't follow Christ do such good things. They feed the hungry. They clothe the naked. They dig wells to provide fresh water for remote villages in Africa. They serve as foster parents. They take in orphans. They care for widows and the elderly. 
when people who don't know the Bible and don't follow Christ do such things, they are showing that they have a sense within them. They know what God commands us to do. One pastor put it, put it uh, like this. He said, in every human community throughout the world, there is a basic recognition of the difference between right and wrong and an accepted set of values. Love is always acknowledged as superior to selfishness. So as Paul puts it, they are a law to themselves. Or maybe a better translation is that they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the Bible, it's, it, it's, not, it's not they just do whatever they want to do. That's how we kind of understand that phrase today. No, it's they have a real sense of what they should do within them. God has created all people in his image, and one of the ways that we see that is that everyone has a moral compass within them, this moral compass that helps to guide them in their life. Of course, they don't follow that moral compass perfectly. They don't follow the moral compass consistently. Just like we don't follow God's revealed commands perfectly or consistently either. And when they don't, verse 15 says, that their conscience will also bear witness within them that they know what God demands of them. When they go against the moral compass within them, their, their conscience will either accuse them of wrongdoing or will excuse them of whatever they did. That is, our consciences are... Our moral guides, they're moral guides for us, but they're not perfect moral guides. They're also bent and tainted by sin and so may lead us astray. When our consciences accuse us of failing to do what we should have done or they accuse us of doing the very thing that we know is wrong to do, almost immediately our conscience may bring up an argument within us justifying our behavior, providing us with a reasonable excuse helping us to overcome any sense of guilt that we might have had for what we did or didn't do. Uh, in, in the book Gentle and Lowly, which is what we are reading for uh, our Renewing Your Mind reading group, um, I came across this great quote by one of my heroes, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, commenting on this very thing that happens within believers, you know, how, how their consciences, I'm sorry, within unbelievers, uh, how their consciences will excuse or, or justify sinful behavior. Uh, Pastor Lloyd-Jones writes this. He said, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. And we can always put up a good case for ourselves, even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There's only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. We have to know who God is before we will really understand that we are sinners, deserving of his condemnation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. That interaction that goes on within us is evidence, it's evidence that God has written the law upon all our hearts. Otherwise, there would be no inner conflict going on at all within anyone. The thoughts of unbelievers regarding their behavior prove that they know 
that it is an inner testimony that there is a God, that there is a right and wrong, that there is good and evil. But in order for us to know for certain whether or not one's conscience is leading them toward righteousness, God must be at work within them, within their heart, revealing who he is in them, to them, opening their eyes to get a glimpse of his greatness, his holiness, his righteousness. And God does that through his word. And so God will judge all people according to the knowledge that they have, according to the light that they've been given. And from what we've seen in Romans 1 and 2 so far, the light that those without the Bible have uh, been given is really threefold. They have the light uh, of nature, by which that they, they, they know there is a God. We saw that back in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So they know that there is a God through the light of nature, through, through what they see in the world, in creation, what God has made. And secondly, they have the voice of their conscience that we see here in, in verse 15. The law is written on their hearts and their conscience is bearing witness against them or excusing their sin, evidence that there is a moral law that's written on their hearts. So that's the, the, the three ways. Through nature, through their conscience, and that God's law is written on their hearts. And so those like us who have the Bible, who also have all that, also have all of that within us, but we'll also be judged for what we know from God's word. As the Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. So we will not be exempted just because we have the Bible. Rather, we will be held even more accountable for how we have known the very thing that God has required and yet have still refused to follow it. And we see here in, in verse 16, who will be our judge? In it says we will be judged in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Paul says, on that day, on the coming judgment, according to my gospel, that is the very gospel that he's teaching here in Romans, God judges the secrets of men, that is in all things, not only our outward actions, but also our words, our inner thoughts, our secret lusts, our sinful desires. He's going to judge all of that. He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of his heart. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And he'll judge all that by Christ Jesus. So you see, all people will end up having a relationship with Jesus Christ. All people will have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It will be just one of two possible relationships. It will either be a relationship of salvation that Paul described for us back in verse 16 of chapter 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that's one possible relationship with, with Jesus Christ, one of salvation. He's our Savior because of his work done in his life, death, and resurrection. Or it will be this relationship described in, in, in verse 16 of chapter 2. The relationship of a condemned person to a judge. On that day, 
no one will be able to say, that's not fair. All people will be on the same level ground before God. Kings and laborers, masters and slaves, the super rich, and those in extreme poverty, Western liberal elites and Middle Eastern Muslim extremists, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, evangelicals and atheists. We will all stand guilty before Christ Jesus, the judge. There will be no excuses, for none of us have lived up to what we know God requires, either written on our hearts or from our knowledge of his word. So what hope is there? What hope is there for us on that day? Well, the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 7, verse 9, he proclaimed this, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Micah was a prophet. He was a man of God. He knew what was at stake. He knew the reality of our situation. So if you have sinned against the Lord, and we all have, then we will bear the indignation of the Lord for our sin. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. That is our state. That is unless someone else has stepped forward to bear the indignation for you on your behalf. And Paul's gospel says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is, Christ was judged for us. Christ suffered the indignation for us, for our sins. Jesus Christ stepped forward and took upon himself your sins. He laid down his life upon the cross. He bore the indignation of the Lord for your sins. And if you have entrusted your life to him, then on that day when God will judge the secrets of men, you will be declared righteous in God's sight. For Christ will have taken all of your sins away, and you will be covered with his righteousness. So my friend, make sure you belong to him. Make sure Christ is truly your Savior. And if he is, then seek his help more and more to have your heart transformed so that you will want to obey and be empowered to follow everything that he has revealed in his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we have meditated on, on this word, it's been a difficult word. Father, for us, but yet as we have heard the gospel, we recognize, oh, we rejoice that Christ has come to save guilty sinners like us. So, Father, help us to put our faith and hope in the work of Jesus Christ. May we come to him. May we rejoice in him. May we be found in him on that day. And may you empower us to do your will before that day comes. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.